stuff. We are going to pick up exactly where we left off a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I think that quite possibly we're coming back to the moment that we've just left uh, as we arrive at the end of the message today. So if you have your Bible, uh, if you turn with me to Luke chapter 4, and we're going to read from verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogue, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus enters into the synagogue on the Sabbath day as was his custom. And from the place of his roots, he launches his ministry. And in this synagogue moment, there is yet again, as we said last week, a moment of shift and a moment of significance. Significance is found as Jesus takes the scroll of Isaiah and begins to read these famous sentences that we've just read together. And as he reads, there is a different air, a different atmosphere about the synagogue on this particular Sabbath. Because the words that Jesus reads, these words selected and chosen, read with poignance within this synagogue meeting, they carry a whole new weight on this occasion. They've been read probably thousands of times within this synagogue, but today, They carry a whole new meaning because today Jesus literally brings them to life. In this moment, these words that were spoken centuries before come into land and they become real. These words prophesied by Isaiah with no awareness from Isaiah as to how they would outwork themselves or how they would come to pass or how they would find their meaning. These words come into season as Jesus quotes them and as he announces them as his very definition and his purpose. There is so much going on within this moment that we could comment on. So much that makes this moment like so many other aspects of Jesus' early life and ministry that make it significant. Like How Jesus enters the synagogue that he went to every single week. How he took a turn to read and speak like he had done so many times before. He grew up in Nazareth. He grew up attending the synagogue. Him taking a turn to read and speak would not have been unusual. How he comes into the synagogue with the same names and faces surrounding him as it always surrounded him whenever he visited this synagogue. There was so much about this synagogue visit that carries with it this sense of familiarity, not just for Jesus, but for everyone else gathered there. It's the same stuff, same synagogue, just different Sabbath. Same faces, same names, same families, same men reading, praying, discussing. 
But today, the familiar is interrupted. Today, custom is disturbed. The regular is displaced because today in the Nazareth synagogue, Jesus is present. And that in itself is not unusual, but the way that Jesus functions and ministers is unusual. Luke sets the whole scene up for us. And he describes this to us in a way that's perhaps different to some of the other descriptions of Jesus ministering in other places in his gospel because as he records this for us, it's almost like he records the drama in the moment. He writes in such a way that he calls out little details that almost present the choreography to this moment. He tells us how Jesus takes the scroll and he he stood up, he stands, he takes center stage. He's given the scroll of Isaiah to the gaze of the whole congregation. He unravels the writings of the prophets, scrolling and scrolling and scrolling to the precise place that he's looking for. He reads with emphasis and tone and rhythm and dramatic punctuation. He pauses. He rolls the scroll back up, returning it to the attendant. He sits, his audience captivated. He speaks. The drama, the custom, the order of the service, the tradition of the moment is interrupted with one sentence. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Luke calls us out in such a way as it presents the drama of the moment because it is a dramatic moment. This is a dynamic moment for sure. And so much of the kingdom is crammed into this short passage and into this simple synagogue visit. In fact, the dynamics of the kingdom that Jesus is about to introduce and about to usher into reality with his life and his ministry, with his death and resurrection, all of that is summarized, laid out, called out in plain sight for us to recognize and see. We could spend weeks unpacking each of them, but don't worry, we won't. (laughs) Binky promise. But what we do do, do do do, what we do do is we call them out and just spend a bit of time just marveling, marveling at the craft of Luke and the way that he writes, but also more importantly, marveling at the inspiration of God and laying out all of these pieces for us to recognize and to respect. As Jesus settles into his seat, as he makes his announcement of fulfillment, All the pieces that he outlines in this moment, all the dynamics of the kingdom begin to come into play from that moment forward. And here's what we see. The first thing that we see is the obvious. Jesus enters the synagogue. He comes into a place of religion. He steps into what is regarded as the church of that day and time and he steps into it to launch his ministry. The synagogue was an important place in terms of the faith and worship of the Jewish people. We don't know the exact origins of the synagogue model, but what we do know is the rules dictated that where there was a gathering of a minimum of 10 families, well, there a synagogue would be birthed. And the synagogue, which the term actually means to gather, the synagogue became the center of life in a community. It was the place of instruction. It was 
the place of education. At one point, it was the place of justice and law. It served as a court in some senses. But above all, it was a place of worship and a place of prayer. Now, the the epicenter of the Jewish faith was, of course, the temple in Jerusalem. And believers would visit the temple on high days and holy days, but in between the high day and the holy day, the rest of the time, their faith was outworked through the synagogue. And that meant that in every town, in every city, in every village, in every community, where there was a gathering of Jewish believers, there was a synagogue. And into this environment, Jesus steps to launch his ministry. And that's interesting. He could have chosen the marketplace. Because we often comment, don't we, that the greatest quantity of Jesus' miracles was found outside the religious setting. It was found in the public square. So that seemed an obvious place to begin. He could have chosen a boat with a crowd assembled on the shore because he would go on to use that model often. He could have chosen a hill or a mountain with the crowd thronging round him. Or he could have chosen a dining table, reclining with his friends and his disciples round about him. He could have chosen any of these models because these were the models that he would later use to advance kingdom, but he didn't. He chose a synagogue, a gathering of believers within a community, a gathering of God's people within a locality. He chose the equivalent of first century church because this is the design of God. The kingdom of God is going to be found in the gathering of believers. So Jesus starts as he means to go on. The launch pad of his ministry reveals the method of his ministry. He's going to gather believers from all walks of life and entrust the kingdom to them. Where two or three gather, there he's going to be in the midst of them, bringing kingdom into that moment. In fact, if we fast forward, we come to the moment that we celebrate and recognize today in our calendar. He's going to release the Spirit to a gathering of believers with tongues of fire and gushing winds of power. And that gathering, empowered by the Spirit, is going to see the kingdom advance to the four corners of the earth, resulting in little gatherings of believers in towns and villages, cities and communities all across this globe, transforming towns and cities with hope, rewriting stories of nations, releasing kingdom. I'm standing here, you're sitting where you are, because on that day on Pentecost, the Spirit empowered believers with kingdom. We're here as a result of that. This can't be lost in us. The vehicle for kingdom is seen in the launch pad of Jesus' ministry. The God who could use angels. The God who could use supernatural exploits and divine interventions chooses the gathering moments of people. He chooses the community of believers to be the method and the conduit of kingdom. He chooses people. And the moments that people gather and then scatter, he chooses that to be that which he releases kingdom to. And we can see the plan for the church here, way back at the very beginning. And it's amazing because we see it even before a single person is called to follow him. Even before a single disciple is commissioned with purpose or called to lay down the nets and appointed with gospel. We see the model of church right there. The launch pad of his ministry revealed the method of his ministry. 
Jesus is going to use church. He's going to use the gathering of believers to transform communities and to change the world with the gospel. And he reveals that plan at the very beginning when he steps into a synagogue and offends the familiarity of its affairs with the dynamics of God. And he chose the synagogue for that. He chose the synagogue over the temple. The temple was the place of sacrifice. Sacrifice did not take place in the synagogue. The synagogue was the place of worship. It was the place of prayer. It was the place of the reading and the teaching and the discussing of his word. But it was never the place of sacrifice. Jesus launching his ministry, Jesus declaring his purpose, Jesus revealing his mandate in the synagogue over the temple shows that kingdom is not going to be found in the places of sacrifices and religious rituals. Kingdom is going to be found in a whole new order. And Jesus embodies and demonstrates that order. Jesus functioning in the spirit reads the word of God and announces kingdom. Because the kingdom's not found in rituals, rites, and empty practices. It's not going to be found in pomp and ceremony or fancy procedures that convey mystique and somehow try to communicate spiritual. Kingdom is going to be found in the union of the word and the spirit. Jesus, who has the word become flesh, who's functioning under the power and the leadership of the spirit. Jesus, who is reading and announcing the word of God and at the exact same time calling out the activity of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, who both in function and action, in his being and in his doing, calling out, demonstrating, bringing, being the union of the word and the spirit. He, in his person and in his performance, highlights the unity of of word and spirit, and in doing so, releases kingdom. He is the word led by the spirit. He reads the word. He announces the activity of the spirit, and he says, here's kingdom, everybody. This teaches us that in this new order that Jesus is bringing to people, where the word of God is found in the union with the spirit, there you'll find Jesus manifesting kingdom. And that means that in every gathering, regardless of style, denomination, religious background, in every gathering, regardless of race, creed, gender, or class, in every gathering, regardless of size, status, or influence, regardless of history, present context, or future potential, in every gathering where the Word of God is found in union with the presence of the Spirit, there you will find Jesus manifesting kingdom. And that's a challenge to us. It's a challenge when we don't quite like the way that those people do it, or we don't quite like their style, or we don't quite like their approach, or we don't quite like the way that they're conducting themselves in that moment. The truth is, if they're pursuing a connection with the Word of God and a connection with the Spirit of God, Jesus is in there manifesting kingdom, whether we like it or not. And the same can be said in every life whether newly saved or long-time devoted, in every life, whether male or female, in every life, whether leader or follower, with status or without status, in every life that seeks to connect with the Word of God and the Spirit of God, through that life, you'll find Jesus manifest in kingdom. And that's the big challenge when you don't like the cut of their jib and you don't like the way that they look at you, talk to you, breathe around you. <laughs> Exist. But the truth is, if they are pursuing a connection with the Word of God and the Spirit of God, Jesus is releasing kingdom through that life. 
From the beginning of time until now, throughout every generation, across the entire story of Scripture, we find that the reality of God is found where the Word and the presence, where the Word and the Spirit exist in unity. And Jesus enters the synagogue, and he enters the synagogue in the power of the Spirit. He is the Word of God incarnate. He is conceived by the Spirit, anointed by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. In him and through him, we see Word and we see Spirit. And in him and through him, kingdom is manifest because the launch pad of his ministry reveals how the dynamics in the life of the kingdom are going to be experienced. It's not through a sacrificial system. It's not through religious rituals. It's through a life that pursues word and spirit. And the fact that he comes into the synagogue just highlights that in a whole new way. Highlights that the kingdom is going to be found through the word of God, through the worship of God, through the life of prayer. The place of devotion is going to be the place that God inhabits in his people. Jesus entering the synagogue, not entering the temple. Jesus launching his ministry in the place of personal devotion instead of the place of national religion reveals God's going to inhabit hearts of devotion, not relics of religion. He's bringing a whole new spiritual order. And praise God, we are here today existing in that spiritual order of Christ. How amazing is he? And as we focus on that, we can't lose sight of the fact that Jesus announces what he's going to do. He announces what God is doing in the here and the now, and he does so by reading the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He calls out the activity of God. He declares to those around about him, this is what God's about to do. Good news is about to be preached. Lives are about to be transformed. Freedom is about to manifest. The miraculous, the supernatural is about to invade the earth. He calls out all the things that God is about to do, all that is about to take place. And he calls all of that as he reads the words of a scroll. He makes a prophetic declaration that reveals the agenda of God to the now generation of Israel and to the generations that would follow thereafter. And he makes this bold and utterly prophetic and poignantly profound announcement, not with flashes of light or booming voices, not with quakes and quivers, haze and hose and manifestations of the Spirit. But he does it by reading the word of God. That has to land with us today. So much comes from that. We see, firstly, truly he did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. Because he reads the word and says, this is now fulfilled. He doesn't say, that's rubbish, forget about it. We've got a new way around town. He says, let me take that and tell you it's now fulfilled. I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets, not to abolish it. That is, he's come to take God's word and move it from being a concept to becoming an experience. That's what he announces here. He reads the scripture and says, today this scripture is fulfilled. He says, today this scripture comes to life. Today this scripture comes into land and to actually happen in your generation. In other words, Jesus says, You guys are about to experience this scripture. 
It's going to move from being a hope that you have, a belief that you possess, a theology and doctrine that you cling to. This scripture is going to be all of that and more because in me, your doctrine, your hope, your belief, your theology is about to become your experience. And the launch pad of his ministry reveals the method of his ministry. It reveals his ministry. It's Jesus, in Jesus, through Jesus, because of Jesus, that the word of God comes to life in us. We live in our here and now, right now. And we live in this transformed by the reality of Christ. And we gather around his word and we read his word and we cherish his word and we value his word and we hold the word of God in a place of high honor because in Christ, the word of God becomes more than just words and sentences on a page. It's more than just stories and parables, history records and letters of instruction. In Christ, it becomes life. Jesus starts as he means to go on. He brings the word of God to life. And from that moment onwards, that is what he goes on to do. To the crowds, to the masses, to the multitudes, to the disciples, to his friends, to those who commit to and follow his ministry, to the hurting and broken, to the oppressed and possessed, to the rich and the poor, to the highest and to the lowest, to the old, to the young, to the male, to the female, to the outcast and to those who are at the center of all. Jesus walks through the pages of scripture and he does the exact same thing every time. Every time, every person, every soul, every context, he just brings the word of God to life. He takes the truth of God and he makes it real. He takes the concepts of God And he brings them into action. He takes scripture and he moves it from being intellectual property to becoming personal experience. He brings an understanding of God and an experience of God at the exact same time. And we shouldn't settle for one without the other. Because that's not Jesus. We shouldn't settle for word and no spirit, nor should we settle for spirit and no word because Jesus isn't in either of those options. He is word and spirit. He's found in understanding and experience, theology and doctrine and manifestation and empowerment. We need to settle for both. However, side note, Jesus presents what he's doing through the word, through reading an ancient scripture. And we can't lose sight of that either. God does this. He announces what he's doing through his word. He confirms his actions through his scripture. Now don't get me wrong, he speaks prophetically to us. He moves powerfully, he turns up profoundly, and he confirms all of that through his word. In this moment in Luke 4, Jesus is himself speaking prophetically and at the exact same time, he is fulfilling prophecy. That's like, wow. He's speaking prophetically and he's fulfilling prophecy at the exact same time. That's a lot of super powerful, crazy spiritual prophetic stuff going on. And all of that super powerful, crazy prophetic stuff is rooted in Scripture. Both the prophecy that he's fulfilling and the prophetic announcement that he's making is rooted in and revolves around scripture. The launch pad reveals his method. 
God speaks in the here and now. He speaks to us. He communicates his action. He communicates his activity. He announces his agenda. There is never a moment that God is not speaking to creation. He reveals purpose. He calls to us. He moves us. He transitions us with his voice. He turns our worlds upside down. He calls us on incredible and outrageous adventures that can be wild and can be faith-filled and at times can seem contrary to what seems logical. But he, when he speaks and calls us, what he speaks to us and calls us will never be contrary to his word. It will always be backed up. It will always be confirmed through his word. What Jesus speaks through the Spirit will always be confirmed by what he's saying through his word. Because where there is the union of the word and the Spirit, that's where you find him manifesting kingdom. So when we hear him through the Spirit calling us to step out, step up, move forward, turn around, when we hear Jesus calling through the Spirit to change, to transition, to push in, to pull back, we must always look for the agenda of God, the prophetic revelation of God revealed in our spirits through His Spirit. We must always look for that to be confirmed through His Word because He is always bringing the Word to life in us. That's what He's doing. And that in itself is an amazing thought. Jesus is in His synagogue in Luke 4, his synagogue, the same synagogue he always went to, the synagogue he was brought up going to. The nature of synagogue life meant that this was community to him. He was part of a community of people. He knew these people. He knew their families. He grew up around them. If you've ever grown up in church, then you know what it's like to grow up with everybody being auntie and uncle. He grew up around these families. He knew them and they knew him. And that's seen in verse 22 when those in the synagogue hearing Jesus speak say, isn't this Joseph's son? They know that he's Joe's boy. He's not unknown to them and they are not unknown to him. They know who he is and they know whose he is. This isn't just a random person. This isn't just some random that's turned up in the synagogue and decided to have a go at speaking. This is Joseph's boy. And to those that he knew and those that knew him, to those he existed in some form of relationship with, he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. To those he knew, he brought the fulfillment of scripture. And he says, this fulfillment, this is my work. This is what I've been sent to do. This is what I'm working at. This is what he has turned up in this particular synagogue on this particular day to achieve. He has come into the world to bring the scripture to fulfillment and he's present in this synagogue to announce the fulfillment of scripture to those that he knew. And he starts as he means to go on. The launch pad reveals the nature of his ministry. To those who step into relationship with Christ, he brings to them the fulfillment of scripture. And that means that those that have faith and trust in him, he not only brings a revelation of his word and a revelation of God to us, but actually he gets to work in our lives to bring scripture to fulfillment within us. What is God doing right now? I need, I need the prophetic revelation. What is God doing in my life right now? What's he doing in, in, in my world right now? Let me give you probably the most prophetic insight you can get in relation to that. Right now, Jesus is at work in our lives bringing God's word to fulfillment. Right now, 
He is at work to bring that promise that he gave you to pass. Right now, he is at work to bring that word that he revealed to you into fruition. Right now, he is moving the pieces around in your environment. Right now, he is transforming our hearts. He is ministering to our spirits. He is shaping us and forming us. He is transforming our character and our nature to make us more like him. Because he is the word of God made flesh. And he works to bring our lives into an experience of the fulfillment of the word. In other words, he's working to bring his reality in us to its fullest. He's working to bring fulfillment to us. To transform us, to make us more like him. And here is the incredible truth. He who began the good work is faithful to bring it to completion. Right now, he is at work in your life and in my life, moving the pieces about to bring his word to fulfillment. Jesus reads these words from scripture. He announces fulfillment. He communicates loads in this one service in the synagogue. So much is communicated in what Jesus says, but there is also a significant message found in what he doesn't say. As we mentioned previously, Luke sets this up with all the drama in the moment. Jesus stands, Jesus takes the scroll, Jesus reads, Jesus pauses, Jesus begins to teach. And all those elements that we've called out are actually called out by Luke in the scripture, all bar one. It doesn't list the pause. It tells us that he stands, it tells us that he takes the scroll, he tells us that he unravels it and finds the place that he reads from it, he rolls it back up, he sits and he teaches. doesn't call out that he pauses, but yet actually it does. And we know that he pauses. Because when he reads the words, he reads a quote from Isaiah, Isaiah 61. And he pauses partway through a sentence. It says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Actually, from Isaiah 61 verse 2, that verse reads like this. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus pauses. That pause would have been picked up by all those round about who'd heard that scripture read hundreds of times. Who knew that scripture inside out and he pauses. Why did he pause? Why does Jesus only quote part of the statement and not the full sentiment? Well, actually, he's communicating more than we realize. And we learn a lot, again, about the prophetic, of which, by the way, it might not sound like it today, but I am a big fan. See, Old Testament's prophets were given insight, were given revelation with regards to the ministry and the purpose of the Messiah and the Savior. And as they received that insight, their revelation presented to them the big picture. The revelation of Jesus was from a general perspective. And when they looked and they saw Christ, they saw him bringing salvation and judgment to the world. He's going to be the savior of the world and he's going to be the judge of the world. And that insight that they received with regards to Jesus' life and ministry was one in which it presented to them his role and function in its entirety within the purpose of God. They see the headlines. 
as it were, the overall narrative, the entire plot in a winner. And from this, they build an assumption. And we all know what happens when you assume. They build an assumption that the story of Jesus is going to be told in one dramatic installment. In other words, salvation and judgment are going to visit the earth together in the person of the Messiah. Jesus walks into the synagogue and does what Jesus often does. He takes the assumptions and completely destroys them. He takes their understanding that has been developed from the prophets and handed down and handed down and handed down and he blows it right out of the water and reveals to them that actually what is about to unfold is a two-part drama. Jesus will bring both salvation and judgment to the world. He is both the savior and the judge. There will be a day of vengeance, but that day of vengeance will unfold when Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those that don't know God and those that don't obey the gospel. There will be a day of vengeance. That day of vengeance will come when Jesus comes from heaven with angels of fire. How has he come? Born of a virgin. That season is yet to come. Jesus is going to enforce judgment upon the earth, but it's not yet. That's not his current mandate. And we know that because Jesus himself said, I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. He didn't come to judge it, but to save it. Jesus pausing as he does in the scripture reading in the synagogue, pausing not only to announce I have come to proclaim, or only to announce I've come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He is communicating that the season of God upon the earth right now is not the season of vengeance, it's the season of salvation. The season that we're in right now is not the season of Jesus' judgment, it's the season of Jesus' salvation. As the Apostle Paul says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. He links favor with salvation. The launch pad of Jesus' ministry reveals the method of his ministry. It reveals the shape of his ministry, the season of his ministry. He has come to the earth to usher in the day of salvation and to proclaim the Lord's favor to humanity, that the Lord is favorable towards his creation. He loves his creation. He loves us. He loves you and he loves me. So from this, we learn some important things. We learn the tension that exists in handling the prophetic. It's one thing to understand what's on God's agenda. It's another to begin to try and fit that within his time scale. God often does give us insight into what it is he's going to do, but we have to remember that his ways are higher than ours. And his timescales don't match ours. So we've got to be careful in applying assumptions to his announcements. We've got to be careful in interpreting his instructions within a particular framework because more than likely, God's got a whole different framework that he intends to use. The second and most important lesson that we learn is that right now we live in the season of salvation. We are living in the pause. The period between the synagogue and the second coming of Christ and the period between the synagogue and the second coming of Christ is the season of salvation. We are living in the season 
of Jesus' salvation, not Jesus' judgment. And maybe the church universal needs to get to grips with that and the way it presents itself to the world and realize we're not here to present judgment to the world that we're in right now. We're here to present the salvation of Christ. What is God's work? What is his agenda right now? His work and his agenda is this. It's the salvation of men and women, boys and girls. This is the age of the gospel. It's harvest time. And as I say that, I have been really challenged recently. And a challenge that I've been wrestling with that has really opened up this whole sermon series that we're going through, through the book of Luke. The challenge is this. Is the gospel that we preach the same as the gospel Jesus preached? It's a challenge. Because in our churches, our churches have become places where the focus is on people making decisions. Whereas the gospel that Jesus preached, that is the news that he said was good and the news that he said was the kingdom. The kingdom he invited us into and the news that he revealed to us was one that exceeded the boundaries of a decision. In fact, I don't think we find anywhere Jesus asking anyone at any time to make a decision or pray a particular prayer. He invited people to transformation. He invited people on a journey of discipleship. I wonder if we look at what Jesus presents in this synagogue moment as his gospel, does it match ours and what we present? Does what Jesus presents as his mission match what is shaping our mission as a church and as people of the good news? What he viewed as important the poor, the proclamation of good news, freedom, deliverance, darkness being banished, the oppressed being liberated. Are these things important to us with our lights and our buildings and our fancy logos? I think we need to come back to review that, don't we? We invite people to make decisions, but did Jesus ever do that? In a sense, yes. His invitation was more than just making a decision. It was an invitation to understanding, and it was an invitation to an experience. It was freedom, it was sight, it was release, it was favor. Perhaps as we journey through Luke and we take a look at Jesus' life and ministry, we need to ask God to teach us about the gospel that he preached. And what exactly it was that he invited people into so that we can invite people into the exact same. Jesus in the synagogue takes what we frame as the gospel. He announces it as his mission. He announces it as his message. It's what he's been sent to preach. It's what he's been sent to do. And we need to come to grips with this phrase that keeps haunting my soul that the way forwards is actually the way backwards. We need to come back to gospel roots. We need to begin to seriously wrestle with what Jesus announces as the good news of the kingdom and what he releases and ministers as the life of the kingdom. We need to wrestle with this. We need to grapple with this to challenge what we have adopted as the gospel and make sure that what we have adopted as the gospel and our presentation is actually a reflection of Jesus Christ, of his ministry and of his message. 
Because until we do, we cannot claim to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. One thing that is clear is that Jesus presents to us that the good news of the kingdom, that the gospel of Jesus flows out of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting to note that in this moment as Jesus outlines his mission, you could almost read this as his commissioning moment. The dictionary term for commissioning is defined as the authority to perform a task or certain duties. So this then most certainly is a commissioning moment in Luke chapter 4. Because Jesus announces that he has been authorized He has been sent to perform specific tasks and to accomplish particular duties on earth. In particular, he announces that he's been commissioned to carry, release, and demonstrate a particular message that this is the day of salvation. This, in some senses, is his commissioning moment with the gospel. And as he steps into his commissioning moment in that synagogue, he is careful to draw attention to the Spirit's presence and power. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because the anointing, the empowering of the Spirit is linked to his commissioning, is linked to his proclaiming. And at the very outset of his ministry, Scripture records for us in Luke's gospel the presence and the influence of the Holy Spirit. We're told Jesus is conceived, he is anointed, he is filled, he is led, he is empowered through, by, with the Spirit of God. And then there comes at the very introduction of Jesus' ministry this obscure, difficult season in the wilderness from which he emerges from. He steps into the church of the day in the power of the Spirit and is commissioned for proclaiming and demonstrating gospel. The launch pad reveals his mission, it reveals his ministry, it reveals his method. Because when we fast forward to the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost that we recognize today, here's what we see. We see a group of believers emerging from a difficult and obscure season after the death of their Savior. And into the church environment steps Jesus. And he pours out his spirit and commissions them with the task of proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel and the kingdom. We fast forward thousands of years later to 2022 and the church of Jesus Christ emerges from a COVID landscape, finding itself navigating out of an obscure and difficult season. And I think that maybe, just maybe, Jesus is stepping into his church to pour out his spirit again, to commission us afresh with the power of proclamation that we can announce and demonstrate the good news of the kingdom that this is the day of salvation. We're living in the pause right now. The pause between the announcement of favor and the arrival of vengeance. It's harvest time. And it's time we wrestled with the gospel that we've been called to carry. When you move from the source of something, it becomes distorted. You only need to play one game of Chinese whispers to discover that. The further away from the original, the more distorted and changed it becomes. We need to grapple with the gospel again and come all the way back to pure gospel, to what Jesus presented as gospel. And we need to come all the way back to the power and the source of our kingdom activity 
He's called the Spirit of the Living God. It's time we came back to the roots of gospel and spirit. It's time we came back to word and presence. And we stepped onto our launch pad for such a time as this. Because it's harvest time. Could the band come? When we look at this, we can't help but see the pattern. Jesus emerges from an obscure, difficult season of ministry, empowered by the Spirit, and is commissioned to proclaim and demonstrate kingdom. In Acts chapter 2, the believers emerge from a difficult and obscure season. They are empowered by the Spirit and commissioned to proclaim gospel and kingdom. We emerge from a difficult and obscure season back at the foundations again. And I think just maybe he's ready to release his spirit to commission us to proclaim gospel and kingdom. This is our time. We cannot miss it. We cannot miss it. We need to come to that place Word and spirit. Word and presence. Gospel and power. We need to come back and let him strip everything else back and let him take everything else off and say, okay, God, we've got designs and ideas, but actually, we're coming back. Gospel and spirit. Fill us afresh. Fill us afresh. Would you stand with me?